Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to our latest edition of this Sky F1 uh, vodcast. And I'm delighted to say, joined today to discuss the State of the Union right now, um, are two very important members of the F1 community, alongside myself and Martin Brundle. Delighted to say we've got the Managing Director of Motorsport of F1, Ross Braun, and the CEO of McLaren, Zach Brown, joining us right now. Guys, thank you so much. Um, Ross, if I could start with you. Um, first of all, how are you? And just tell us a little bit about the challenges that you're facing right now. I can imagine they're unimaginable. It's, uh, it's a fascinating time. I mean, very difficult time, very challenging time for everyone. Um, obviously, people are suffering massively with this crisis. Um, for us as a company, our sports, yeah, we're obviously all operating uh, from home. Um, there's a lot of things that um, Formula One uh, are unable to do, and we've just gone through a furlough process with our staff, which has been a painful process, but a necessary one. Um, and uh, But the rest of the team, you know, about half of the company, have, in fact, I've never been busier. You know, I'm on video calls and phone calls from first thing in the morning to late at night. And it's just a very dynamic and volatile situation on so many fronts. Obviously, trying to keep a calendar together and create a calendar that uh, gives us a viable race season. And that changes almost every day, uh, as well as having the discussions with the teams and the FIA to, to see um, what we need to do to preserve this great sport of ours and um, make sure we keep all the teams involved and we keep all the, the critical elements of our sport. But um, perhaps this is time for a reset and a time to say that, you know, in the good times, Formula One operate at a certain level, but now is the time to take a view on that. And decided we need a reset in terms of the costs and investments that are needed um, for Formula One. And so, so there's a lot of activities going on on a lot of the different fronts. Ross, Ross, it's clearly not going to be like a shotgun start for us to get up and running. It, it'd be like uncrimping the hosepipe, really. What might the start, if we indeed have a season this year, what might the start of that look like? Uh, well, obviously, travel for the teams and travel for everyone involved is going to be one of the big issues. I mean, once you could argue once we get there, we could become fairly self-contained. Um, and you know, our, our view is that probably a European start would be favourable, where we can, uh, and that could even be a closed event. You know, we can have a very, uh, very, very enclosed environment where teams come in on charters, we channel them into the circuit, uh, we make sure everyone's tested, clear, there's no risk to anyone, and we have a race without spectators. That's not great, but it, I think it's still better than no racing at all. And I think we have to remember there's millions of people who follow the sport and sat at home. A lot of them uh, are isolating. And, you know, to be able to put on a sport and keep the sport alive and put on a sport and entertain people would be a huge bonus that, uh, uh, with this crisis we have. So but we can't put anyone at risk. Um, but we're looking at the organization and structure that would give us the earliest start but also the ability to maintain that start. There's no point in having a start and then stopping again for a while and having another start. But I think it's most likely to be in Europe uh, and it could, it's conceivable that it could be a closed event. 
That's fascinating to hear. Um, and we, we can come back to that, Ross, uh, a, a little bit later. But I just want to bring in Zach, if we could. Uh, you mentioned there, and you, you'd have heard what Ross was saying. I mean, everything that Formula One has been about and the, the new sets of regulations, uh, Zach, has been about levelling the playing field. Um, I think the question would be from a lot of the fans, if, if now is not the time, then when? Uh, is this best opportunity you see out of this crisis and could, good can come and, and level the playing field? I do, but I think it's far bigger than um, just level leveling the playing field. I, I think in life, when you have um, something that's hit you that's a, a crisis or an issue, you can either kind of run towards it and try and uh, solve the problem uh, or run from it. And I think the industry as a whole is, is running towards the issue. I think we know there's enough... Um, economics in the sport for it to not only survive, uh, but to thrive. But we also know that the business model of Formula One has really not been sustainable for, for a long time. And it always has seemed to uh, kind of make it through this uh, unsustainable periods. But it, I think it does take an event like this to maybe finally kind of wake everyone up and realize um, we now don't have the luxury that we uh, have had in the past and, and we need to make some tough, aggressive decisions to give all the stakeholders that are committed uh, to Formula One the, the confidence and the reason to continue to stay uh, committed. And so while um, you know, we're pushing very hard uh, on this budget cap, which is really, if we look back to what uh, Ross and Chase and the FIA presented in Bahrain two years ago, um, which the majority of the teams were uh, supportive of, that's where the sport needed to be. And if we look at where conversations are now, that's effectively where we're headed back to. So uh, we weren't able to kind of get that through in round one, but maybe it takes a situation we're in now for everyone to wake up and realize that what uh, Formula One presented a couple of years in Bahrain was spot on. And uh, while maybe we didn't have the luxury of not doing it two years ago, today the world has changed and we need to do it. And, and I think it'll be great for Formula One. I think a more competitive Formula One will drive, at the end of the day, more fans, which means more sponsors, which means more countries want to have Grand Prix. And so we, uh, so we all win. Zach, you've been widely quoted as saying maybe four teams can't make it through this phase if Formula One doesn't get up and running again. Is that realistic and does that include McLaren? You know, unfortunately, I think it is realistic if we don't handle the situation appropriately. I think we can get through this and lose no teams. And, um, you know, we're fortunate that the majority of the owners in Formula One have the means to continue and uh, kind of get through this, what's a very big speed bump. However, if they don't like what Formula One looks like coming out of this, then what's their motivation to stay in the sport? You know, the, the Saubers, the Hosses, these teams want to be competitive. Um, and so they have the means to stay in the sport. The question more is, do they want to stay in the sport? And, you know, from a McLaren standpoint, you know, we're, we're quite a, a big brand, an iconic team. We don't have an unlimited uh, checkbook, and I've got the boundaries in which – 
uh, I've been tasked by our shareholders. I need to create value for them. You can imagine our road car business, uh, like the majority of businesses right now have uh, you know, come to a, a stop for the short term. And so, you know, what I don't have is the ability to continue in, in F1 at any and all costs. So if, uh, you know, I can go back to my shareholder base and say, look, this has impacted all of us, but Formula One is going to be a economically more viable sport, a more competitive sport, then, you know, I'll get tremendous amount of support to power through this. So I think if we don't handle it right, we could lose teams. I think if we handle it right, which I think the majority of the people in Formula One know what that looks like, I think not only can we survive, but I think we can thrive. And that's kind of the, the frustrating part when you get together with everyone is uh, it's a, a very successful Formula One is there for the taking. We just need to make sure we don't make any mistakes. Okay, well then let's bring you back in on this, Ross. And do you agree with what Zach is saying broadly? And, and what can Formula One, what can the FIA, what can, any, what can those bodies do to help the teams that may be struggling through this? Um, I think Zach's right in saying that, um, that what's important is we come out of the other side of this with, with a reason to believe for, for people like Finn Rousing and uh, Gene Haas and, and those sort of teams. I mean, the commercial model that we're presenting for the future is much better for those teams. So the income is much better. But even so, they're going to have to support their teams, perhaps in the short term. And if you're supporting your team, and the prospect is to, is to run around the back of the grid, it's not, it's not a very exciting prospect. And so with the new car and the new economic model, uh, particularly the income, we were making the sport much more attractive for teams of that sort. Um, I think when we introduced the budget control, there was always the anticipation that if we had a crisis, we could turn the dial down. And I think, um, you know, to quote a spinal tap uh, quotation, the dial's been set at 11 for too long. <laughs> and we need, to, we need to wind it down. And we've been enjoying exceptional times in Formula 1 in many ways. But I don't think, I think the show will improve if we, if we push down the cost of Formula 1. Because the differentials between those that have uh, large budgets and those that have sensible budgets or modest budgets uh, is going to be reduced. And along with the new cars, the new commercial model, then I think we can look forward to uh, a bright future. Even, you know, we're looking through this crisis we have now. But we need the teams to survive. We need them to feel that they've got a future. And I think the budget control is, budget cap is a perfect tool to use to say we need to reset the reference um, of Formula One. And set it at a level that's actually still a large amount of money but is achievable for the majority of teams and achievable in a sustainable way for the majority of teams. I've said this before, there's not a team in Formula One making a profit today. And that's crazy with the amount of prize money and sponsorship money we have. Um, you know, it's rather like football was a few years ago where they all exceeded what they, they had as income and, teams are going, and football teams are going bankrupt. And that, you know, the, the fair play 
model they have now has stabilized that. Um, it still has its challenges, and we're going to meet many challenges with the budget control, no doubt. But I don't see any other mechanism that we're going to get this under control. You know, we've, we've tried for decades to get the costs of Form 1 under control, and I think without a cost control system, we have no way of doing it. And, uh, uh, and Zach's right, where we started two years ago was about $130 million a year. And that's a substantial amount of money, and I think that's where we need to be now. This conversation really frustrates me in a way, Ross. You know, we're all good friends, Zach, we've over dinner, Ross, here and there and everywhere, had the conversation that Formula One's unsustainable. You know, Ross, you took a team, you, you got a team out of, uh, you phoenixed out of the ashes of Honda with the Braun team. But what, why, is, why is it COVID-19 that's brought common sense to us? Or why have we got, if I remember the numbers correctly, uh, Ross, when you left Mercedes, there was a cap of how many employees? Was it 850 that you could have in the team? And now it's a long way north of 1,000. It, it's going to go bang and something else has forced us to, to um, you know, why, why is common sense only breaking out now when everybody's right up against the wall? Well, I think the, the, um, the paradox of Formula 1 is that success breeds that. If you're a brand like Mercedes, the rewards that come from being successful in Formula 1 are so great. Uh, there are you know, many factors above what you spend. So although the budget for Mercedes is high, the rewards they're getting are even higher. And therefore they can justify spending a bit more each year. Um, because the rewards, I mean we all remember when Mercedes was an old man's car. Uh, and now it's not, it's a hip car, it's a, you know, it, it's, um, they've changed the perception of Mercedes. Uh, and they've done a lot of that through Formula One. So it's extremely valuable. And paradoxically, the success of Formula One has then driven the ability for certain, certain teams to, to justify their budgets. Red Bull's the same. Um, Red Bull are able to show uh, a multiple of what they invest in, in Formula One in terms of the returns they get for branding. So we're a very successful sport. Uh, in many ways, and particularly commercially. So therefore, for those who can justify, it just keeps driving these budgets on and on and, and creates the gap uh, between the teams who perhaps don't have that uh, opportunity or don't have that situation and the teams that do. And there's too big a void in between the, you know, the, the front three, three teams really who, who enjoy uh, a high level of budget and the rest who are um, trying to make a model work which is sustainable. But now is obviously going to be a time for altruism, selflessness, that's what the sports needs but, but, but inherently that's not the way it plays out. Zach, I know, you know you're the first of the teams to have furloughed some staff as far as I understand it. Um, how many of your 850 have you furloughed and what is your messaging to the bigger teams and also you know, how is the decision-making process action from here? Do you need to be unanimous? Is there a split? And that's to come back to you, Ross, off, off the back of what, what Zach wants to say. What's your messaging been to those big three teams? Well, you know, without 10 teams or at least nine teams, you don't really have Formula One. And um, so I think these, you know, it's really a couple teams need to be very careful 
because uh, I think they're, you know, kind of playing with, with fire, so to speak, that, um, you know, it takes a, a full grid to have a, have a sport. So if they, um, you know, make this continue to have the sport be, you know, unsustainable and, and uh, a couple teams uh, lose interest or, or financially not able to participate anymore, then they're going to be racing against themselves. So, you know, and, and that's not going to work. So I think they need to be confident in their uh, capabilities. You know, it's, it's a bit bizarre. Can I be clear? Um, Sorry, Zach. Can I be clear? You, we're talking about Ferrari and Red Bull here, yeah? We're, we're talking about a couple of teams. Mm. And, and um, Daimler, I think, is um, doing an excellent job recognizing the uh, situation. Uh, that we're that we're in, so you can deduct who the other two teams are. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you know, and and look, it's it's a huge uh, marketing platform for those two teams. So I, I understand why they want to keep the uh, fiscal uh, uh, ba uh, balance where it is now. But you know, in in sport, you know, you kind of want to think everyone can uh, fight fairly and may the best team win. If, if you look at IndyCar racing, you know, Roger Penske has the same car as every other team, has one of two engines, and he wins most of the time. And, you know, so I still think the biggest and best teams, biggest brands are going to attract the best drivers, the best engineers, but, you know, right now the, the gap between, you know, the, the front and back is seconds. And in IndyCar, it's, it's tenths. And, and if you look at an IndyCar season, it's going to be Penske or Andretti or Ganassi that win the championship. They always do. But you have three or four surprise winners a year. So it makes going to a race exciting because you kind of think, you know, who might win. But, you know, you don't take it to the, to the bank. And if you look at the three biggest, the most exciting races that we've had in some time, it was Germany, it was Baku, and it was Brazil, because it all kind of had weather and crashing and safety cars. And we shouldn't have to rely exclusively on that to have an unpredictable race. It should be that, you know, one of the teams that isn't an A team can, you know, have a better strategy or catch the safety car at the right time and, and you know, or capitalize on someone having a bad pit stop. And um, so, I, you know, I, I think they need to have, you know, confidence. As I said, it's like, you know, a heavyweight who only wants to fight middleweights. Come on, you know, it's, you're, these are great teams. They should be prepared to, to fight everyone, you know, on, on more equal terms. And I think that's what fans want. In sport, if you ask the fans, which is who our ultimate customers are, you know, they want to see races like Brazil and Germany, and we shouldn't have to rely on, you know, torrential downpours to, to create that level of excitement. Ross, the counter here, obviously, I'm coming to you, is how do you find that the pathway through this? Because this is the tightrope that we seem to forever be walking. And, and the counter argument from the bigger teams would be that the smaller teams are never getting up to the budget cap. They're spending more on R&D, staffing and, and infrastructure than, than the customer teams. And the customer teams might be using this period to, to leverage themselves a, a, a slight competitive advantage over, over the bigger teams. I mean, it's the perennial issue, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, we've got to maintain integrity in this sport. You know, the fans want to see a true competition. I mean, the easiest thing for us to do would be introduce handicap systems. 
you know, if you're not winning, uh, or you, if you're winning, you carry extra weight or you have some other handicap. And I think we've always avoided that because I think the true competition is vital. And I agree with what Tax saying. We need the we need the variety. Um, you know, we we fought hard to get to where we got to with the budget cap at one seventy five. Uh, million dollars for the year it was higher than we wanted but that was the equilibrium we could find with all the teams uh, I won't pretend it was ideal that was what, not what we wanted but that's where it was the COVID crisis has created an opportunity quite frankly for people to really take a second look at what's a realistic and uh, sensible uh, level of the budget cap and it's allowed us to renegotiate again with, I think, extra determination and extra commitment and a statement that this is what we told you the budget cap was for, guys. When we have this crisis, we can turn the dial down. And we said that when it was introduced. And we're there sooner than we would have hoped or than anyone wanted. But we are there now. We can't ignore it. It'd be irresponsible to ignore it. And so... Uh, we've all got to readjust to these new levels. It's going to be painful, but the sport will have a future. And I think actually we'll come out of it in a much stronger place once we've been through this. So, and the fans do want to see, they want to see the grandees. Uh, you know, we often made this analogous to football. I'm a Man United fan. Um, we're going through a bit of a tough spell at the moment. But, you know, the fans want to go and see a Man United game if they're not a Man United fan and think their team have got a hope of beating them. And occasionally they do. In Formula One, we've, you don't do that. You know, no one's going to win a race apart from the top three. We haven't had a race winner apart from the top three for I don't know how long. And that's not, that's not uh, ideal. That's not um, what we really want. Uh, so we want meritocracy. We want the best teams to win. But we want more people to be able to prove that they're the best team. Ross, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. What's the minimum number of races you think would make a, a relevant, credible world championship in 2020? And what might Plan B look like right now? And why hasn't Formula One put Plan B out there, like, for example, World Endurance Championship and Le Mans, by, by claiming the high ground and at least showing that we, you know, we have a plan as soon as we can get up and running? Well, our season's longer than most of the other racing series. So, um, you know, Canada has just been cancelled. So if we'd included Canada, we would have to revise the calendar again. Uh, and as, as each race has been cancelled, we would have had to revise the calendar again. So we felt it was better to wait until the situation stabilised before we, we present a calendar. Um, there's been an awful lot of work done. Uh, eight races is actually the minimum we can have a world championship within the FIA, FIA statutes and uh, within the FIA statutes. And so uh, eight races would be the minimum. And that could, we could achieve eight races by starting in October. So if you wanted a drip, you know, a drop dead point it would be October but then there's always a possibility we could run into next year that's assuming we finish this year and that's being explored can we stray into January to finish the season uh, there's all sorts of complications you can imagine with that if we were able to start um, in 
in the uh, beginning of July, we can do a 19 race season. Um, tough, three races on, one weekend off, three races on, one weekend off. But we've looked at all the logistics and we think we could hold um, an 18 to 19 race season if we're able to get started in July. So, you know, the choice is anything in between those two numbers. Are all of the promoters and the, the different circuits, um, I mean, I know a lot are set in stone, for example, but one example I've seen or one proposal put forward was to put all the Europeans, as you're saying, at the front to buy yourself time with minimum travel and then do it in blocks afterwards. Is that something that, that you've looked at and are you discussing that as an option? Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are some races... Um, you know, for instance, Singapore is difficult to move because of you know, it's a street circuit. If you're talking about a street circuit, they're very difficult to move because the logistics involved in putting it all together and moving it to a different weekend is very difficult. Uh, whereas uh, tracks are easier. So uh, you know, within you know, where a racetrack exists, probably within a month even, you could, you could hold a race, even less. Particularly if it's a closed race, because with a closed race, you're not talking about the marketing and the selling of tickets, etc. You're talking about what's needed to get everyone there and structured and organised. So it does depend on the type of race it is. So I think the you know, race like Singapore will be very difficult to move from its existing spot. Um, but looking around those schedules, then yes, there's... Uh, some races in slightly odd times but they would still be okay from a weather perspective and we've tried to look at the logistics we may have some two-day races in order to meet the logistical needs uh, for instance china looks like it will probably be a two-day race if we go ahead with it uh, because to get there and get away from it uh, to the next race we're planning then it could easily be a two-day race so there may be a couple of two-day races in there to make the logistics work but our guys, along with um, the FIA and consulting the teams, have got every permutation covered. Uh, you know, at the moment, we're looking at the logistics of a closed race. You know, how would we get people there? How would we protect them? How would we make it safe? Um, who would we allow into the paddock? Um, so there's, there's uh, every permutation being discussed. Zach, how long would it take you to fire back up the McLaren team and the logistical challenge? Can you do three on, one off, three on, one off and start zooming around the world? You've got crash damage to think about. You've got, I guess, updates a little bit out of the window this year. But logistically, is that doable if Ross and the gang come up with a, a, a championship looking like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, won't be easy. But I think we're finding uh, right now in life, we're all doing things that we uh, never thought were doable. So, you know, there's no way, obviously, Ross and his team will come up with a calendar that's not uh, possible to uh, execute against. I think we would need to be back at the factory, you know, four or five weeks before uh, the first race and uh, certainly carrying spares and things of that nature we would need to think through. But I think three weeks on, a week off, as long as we're staying in, you know, kind of similar territories, you know, going from Europe and then to Asia and then maybe Americas and then the Middle East, I think that's definitely uh, doable. And, and I think um, we'll learn a lot when we go back racing. And so as Ross said, maybe there's two-day events, maybe there's some format changes. I think it kind of gives us a license to 
explore a little bit and we'll maybe come out of the season going actually a two-day event if we are going to do three in a row makes sense or qualifying on Sunday morning or eliminating a free practice, whatever that may be, I think we should experiment uh, when we get started. And, and I think we'll find we'll learn some things that uh, appeal to the fans and maybe make ways of working a little bit easier. If I can ask you another question, Zach, sorry, uh, lasers. Right. But, you know, we had this situation in Melbourne where your team had a problem and there were a lot of, there, were, there was a lot of discussion of it. If, if not all the teams can race, then nobody should race it. It's not fair. Isn't the picture bigger than this now? If one team finds itself on a second wave of this awful virus, um, do you think, let's say it was McLaren, would you want the other nine teams to carry on? Uh, yeah, I think given where we are right now, um, we need to make some sacrifices. And so if we found, um, you know, the sport comes back to going racing and we start in Austria, the British Grand Prix or Hungary, or you know, pick a race. And uh, at least speaking for uh, McLaren, if we were not uh, able to race, I would do exactly uh, what I did in Australia and, and withdraw the team because you've got to um, uh, put the safety of your people first. But if ultimately uh, Formula One and, and the teams felt comfortable that, you know, the issue that we had was contained to just our garage and they felt it was safe to go racing i would not stand in the way um it would be unfortunate um maybe we could have a discussion with formula one where you know kind of back in the good old days you could drop a couple races so maybe this year let's say we get back to 15 races maybe we do something where your best 13 races count so you know if you had something like that I'm, we're not holding back the sport, but we're also not being penalized. So I think those are areas that we could all work together and identify. But I, I think we do need to try when the time is right to get the show back on the uh, back on the road. I suppose one thing, just to play devil's advocate here, um, you know, obviously the situation affects different countries wherever they are in, in terms of the curve. Um, with regards to this, you know, is it morally correct to be sending out anybody into a sporting environment throughout the world without there being a vaccine? Is that something that you guys have, have talked about or is it just following government guidelines, different government's guidelines? And that's going to be one of the, the major logistical headaches for you, Ross. Well, I, I think... Uh, it, oh, sorry, Ross, you go. Both of you go, guys. Well, so, so I think it starts with the government guidelines. Uh, that's a, it's a great place to start. That's where we started but then i think you have to look inside each uh, racing team and and, and company because we all have different parts of our business so you then need to kind of come to your own conclusions and then i think you work with formula one and they'll work with us where we work together and we talk about you know different scenarios you know what if we go back to a race and the driver gets it or a garage gets it how do, how do we handle that so i think uh when this um, came across the, the world. It was new to all of us, and I think we've learned a lot in a very short period of time. So I think when we do go back to racing, I think we'll be better prepared to talk through some of these scenarios. It took a long time to get tests. Now, you know, there's tests in, at home, and you can get tests in, in hours. So I think um, we'll, I think it's hard to kind of make a blanket statement of what's right or wrong because we're not there yet, but I think, you know, rest assured, 
the industry will be very well prepared, briefed, and organized that when we do go back, we have uh, kind of all the scenarios played out. And what we won't do as an industry, I'm confident, is be irresponsible. Yeah. And to you, Ross, to follow up, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I endorse what uh, Zach was saying. Obviously, we have to follow government guidelines. Um, but I think there is, you know, people are going to have to get back to work at some point. Yeah. And, and I don't know if this thing is 100% cleared up when we do that. You know, if we wait until it's 100% cleared up and the vaccine's been um, invented and, and everybody's been vaccinated, what point of time in the future is that? Because, um, so there'll be some degree of judgment involved in when, when it is fair and correct for, for people to go back to work, for people to engage in the things they did before, perhaps with a lot more precautions than they took before. But you know, there's a massive, massive social and economic impact of this disease. And that's got to be taken into consideration as well in terms of deciding when the best time to go back is. There's been some awful tragedies for families and people who've been directly affected by this disease. And we can't underestimate that. That's awful. But also the economic and social impact of this disease is going to start becoming a, a real factor. And we just need to find a balance that enables some form of normality to to um, to come again and for sports a great you know, a great factor in people's well-being it entertains them it engages them there's also positive emotions about sport and um, you know can and we employ thousands of people and uh, you know if the sport collapses there's thousands and thousands of people out of work um, so we have to find a way through it and it won't be you know digital in the sense one day it's okay and one day it's not or vice versa it, it will be a transition there'll be a transition period which we'll have to manage as carefully as possible to minimize the risk and i think if we find a team has suffered some um, coronavirus uh, victims then we'll have to look at the circumstances under which that is is it the factory is it the track uh, and have a plan in place to deal with it okay just to get into a, a positive story a more positive story if we could uh, and that is that the pulling together of all the teams we, we've discussed this and um in the last few podcasts it's been great to see everybody doing it playing their part i'll start with you zach Incredible stuff, isn't it? This and what you guys, what Rebel, what, what what they're all doing. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been outstanding. We have about a hundred people uh, on the project, and um, you know the amount of people inside McLaren that have come forward to volunteer their time to help, both kind of locally and within the racing team and, and neighbors and family. And um, so it's been, um, you know, I think situations like this make everyone uh, stronger. They work together, create bonds, and uh, it's, it's definitely great to see. Yeah, Ross, I mean, it's, 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 it's taken an incredible uh, yeah, amount of unity. It's good, you know, whilst everybody else is obviously arguing about the, the future and what it's, what it's going to look like. You know, all these engineers, top engineers, pulling together to, to really help the cause is, is a source of great pride to everybody up and down the pit lane. That's certainly what, you know, I, I'm feeling a sense of pride. I don't know about yourself, 
on that front. No, absolutely. I'm very proud of the people that are involved with that project. On our side, Pat Simmons has been uh, uh, the main engineer. We don't have a big engineering capacity within Formula One, um, but Pat's been driving some of the organization along with uh, two or three others, and the teams have been uh, amazing. Um, Mercedes HPP, their engine group, um, did uh, a breathing device separately, uh, and uh, that that's, looks to be very, very useful as a first stage assistance in fighting this disease for a patient who's uh, uh, in distress. Then, uh, and then I think it's been cleared now, but the new design of ventilator, which uh, had to be approved, uh, looks like it's now going on stream and is about to start manufacture. And for ones like that, we, we, we spend you know, a large part of our life um, uh, trying to defeat each other in any way possible out on the track. But when we have these situations, then Formula One comes together. And in a small way, I've seen it lots of times at the track. You know, a team has a crash, runs short of spares. Teams will, will rally around and give them pieces so they can carry on racing. And um, I've seen that so many times. And, you know, when my example, Braun GP, when we were in trouble, you know, Mercedes and Ferrari both offered to give us entrance. Uh, and um, so, you know, Formula One, we're at each other's throats out on the track. But actually, there's a very strong camaraderie. And I'm extremely proud of, of the things that have been done to contribute in a small way to solving this crisis. Yeah, definitely Formula One at its best, that sort of can-do attitude. Talking of the support industry, though, we, you know, we, there are thousands in Formula One, but there are many thousands more that support us with gearboxes and brakes and fabrication. And what can we do to make sure they're still all in business and still ready to supply us when we get up and racing? Is that, is that a worry at all, Zach, or do you think that's under control? No, I, I, quite frankly, I think everything's a worry uh, right now. Um, you know, we, uh, we're going to have less revenue uh, coming in this year, so is everyone. And, um, you know, everyone's kind of locked down. It's, it's kind of cash preservation uh, mode to make sure that we can um, kind of survive the uh, lack of revenue. And, you know, we have uh, tons of suppliers, so we're uh, communicating uh, with them, we're, we're you know paying our paying our bills as as quickly as we possibly uh, can. But you know this is going to do a lot of damage to a lot of companies around the world, and that's not uh, exclusive to Formula One by any means. So I think everyone's in the same boat, and the the well-run businesses with um, you know good leadership and, and good management should be able to work through this. I think everyone is being um, working well together. You know, our, our sponsor partners have their uh, challenges in these times, so they need help. We want to give them help. And uh, you know, we have lots of suppliers. So I, I think everyone's working well together and government's trying to obviously help with stimulus packages. And uh, But unfortunately, I do think there's going to be uh, a lot of casualties in, in business uh, around the world. Zach, Ross, um, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I, I know that you've got uh, an awful lot on your plates at the moment uh, with the respective businesses. So thank you for taking the time out to, to tell our fans exactly where uh, F1 is heading. And I, for one, yeah, just, just hope that uh, 
we can all navigate this together and we'll be racing soon, but obviously there's far more important things at the moment. So a big thank you to both of you for, for, for joining us this afternoon. That's, it's great. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. And Martin, I'm going to bring uh, Craig Slater in here to get some uh, some more news on what's been going on. But if I could just ask you for you know your views on what we've just been hearing from these guys whilst we awake, Craig. Well, I think it's all very pragmatic, isn't it? And you got you know you got two racers there who understand that the business, have a passion for Formula One, and, and know it's been through a few trials and tribulations, probably none more greater than this, and um you know what we need right now like like every country like every industry we need great leadership we need direction we need clarity and that that's the important thing it's really good to hear ross there you know listing the parameters they obviously don't want to commit to a championship then have to switch a load more off that's quite negative but um and i guess formula one is going to get the high ground when it comes to venues because i'm very concerned that every two and four wheel key championship around the world thinks it's going to compress its championship into six months or even four months and there's just going to be a shortage of marshals officials you know safety medical uh, uh venues and what have you so it it, it it can't all we can't all fit in to the last four to six months of the year so yeah that's why i think formula one needs needs that great clarity and uh, and 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 to move forward but i do think we've got a bigger problem than say a national championships or a European championships in that we've got to just grab, you know, 3000 very cosmopolitan people and drop them around the globe with all of the challenges of will our companies, are we allowed to go? And if we go, will they let us in when we get there? And if we drop into one place, does it prevent us from going to another? And I mean, there's so many hoops to jump through so many filters to get through uh, uh, that you, you, you do fear that, hang on, can, can this ever get up and running this season? And I know looking at Twitter and I know there's a lot of fans who think it, it won't, but uh, uh, we've got to. We've literally got to get this show back on the road. Otherwise, there'll be nothing left at the end of it. You know, we, we, we talked about the teams. We talked about the sponsors in there. We talked about the suppliers. And they can't just all tread water or get a suspended animation for a year with with some furloughing and not paying the business rates or whatever because you know just like any other industry so it, it, it is you know as we've said before what we do is we race around and around in circles to entertain people but not to belittle that we're also a huge business generating massive exports here in the uk and and generally a lot a lot of excitement and, and something that ross touched on and, and zach as well that i think for everybody's well-being the, if they start seeing premiership matches played again and formula one races taking part again there's an element of normality returning even if it is behind closed doors and i do think we need to get on and generate some fresh content for people make people feel that the world is you know kicking into life again yeah absolutely okay um craig uh, wonderful to have you on as well i know you've been speaking to a lot of people in and around the world of formula One. let's start with ferrari uh what's mattia bonotto had to to say about everything it was interesting listening to, to two gentlemen there ross braun and zach brown who were singing off 
the same hymn sheet in, in terms of the cost cap at the moment. Uh, for a long time, Ross has wanted to introduce it. As it happens at the moment, McLaren are in that position where it, it would be beneficial for them and the rest of the business as they see it at the moment. But we have to say that Ferrari, although they want to be cooperative, although Ferrari, uh, though Mattia Bonotto, who I spoke to for 20 minutes yesterday, said he thought it was a very productive meeting that all the teams had by video conference on Monday, that he, he still wanted everyone to accept that in terms of the cost cap, there are two different types of teams. There are teams, as he put it, like Ferrari, who build their cars, who build the powertrain, who make every single part of their car, and there are others who are customers who don't do that. So he said, maybe there need to be two different types of cost caps, one for the manufacturers and one for the customer teams. And it wasn't just that as well. Mattia Bonotto, a young man, but he was voicing some of the arguments that you could have heard from Luca de Montezemolo 20 years ago about this. He talked about that Formula One needed to preserve the DNA of its competition. You have to maintain the DNA and the essence of F1. I think we must look at the details, we must rationalize, and we must make decisions based on considerations and not emotions. I asked him then, do you think it's wrong to make long-term financial decisions in the midst of this crisis? He said, most definitely not. We need to have a long-term view. We need to look ahead and take proper decisions and simply avoid acting on an emotional basis at the moment. So what Ross Braun calls an opportunity to make change uh, which will benefit Formula One in the long term and create a more egalitarian competition. I suppose someone like Mattia Bonotto thinks, well, okay, let's let's treat the short-term problem. Let's make sure the teams survive. But when we come out of this, I guess he seems to think F1 uh, needs to be expensive and, and I suppose in the Ferrari tradition still needs to be about the pinnacle of technology. So we still have that ideological difference uh, between Ferrari, on the one hand, maybe Red Bull supporting them, but then that big majority of teams uh, who see things Ross's way, uh, can they square that circle? Um, there's a fair bit of squaring still to be done, I think. Yeah, it's a, it, I suppose, as you're saying, what, whatever happens, however, whatever comes out of this, it could have a generational impact, Martin. Just a, a quick word on that. I mean, if, is it going to go the way of the automotive manufacturers that have dominated since the 90s? Are you going to go back to the independent specialists that, um, you know, between the 50s and the 80s, or you're going to get something in between that fits all? Well, I think, first of all, they've got to take the decision-making process out of the hands of people who've got a competitive advantage and want to maintain that. They're hardwired to do that. They're, they're working for their team. So that, that's always the position they're going to take. And they need to get real here because they're, they're, there's a real peril. You, we need to give the board of Mercedes, the board of Renault, Honda, and other companies easy justification that staying in Formula One is good value and, the, and it's going to come under control budget-wise. You, know, you can do a wow job for £100 million. Just look at Williams and, and Racing Point, for example. It looks wow. doesn't look wow when you look at the stopwatch because other people are spending three or four times that amount of money. It, it's like uh, giving Manchester United smaller goalposts, you know, against some of the other teams. There. We need to level that up and we need to get real and, and over, uh, you know, it, it means de-staffing, which I'm really sad about, but what would be far worse than that is if teams start falling over and disappearing, um, then we really got some, uh, a lot of people out in, the, in, the, in a market 
that will massively contract. So we've got to do the right, the right things now and, and think about the longer term future uh, of Formula One and, and get this sorted out. And all of the people on the board or going to the board to these big companies have got to have an easy justification. Let's stick with Formula One because it has worked. As Ross said, it worked brilliantly for Mercedes-Benz. It creates a, a lot of marketing, a lot of opportunity but not if the whole thing falls over and the teams pull out. Yeah, Craig, um, final word to you, if you could, yeah, wrap up any of the other stories out there that are making headlines. Well, I just want to add, I thought it was great uh, listening to Ross Broad. He's so placid, but he, he slipped that, that one in there, didn't he, about handicap systems. Is that the little ace he's got up his sleeve that the likes of Ferrari and Red Bull don't play ball? He, he just left that lingering there. I just want to echo what the other guys said about Formula One chipping in uh, in its many guys. It's not just chipping in, but playing a key role in the fight against coronavirus. We've talked a lot about the ventilators and all the work that's been done in three different streams. Uh, Mercedes, Andy Cowell, uh, the, the HPP powertrains there, um, playing already getting stuff up and running and, and with the hospitals. I want to say a word about Ron Dennis. I haven't spoken to him for, for, for three years, but uh, he's put his money not just where his mouth is, but where the mouths of the key workers in the NHS are at the moment. He's come up with an incredible scheme, very Ron Dennis-like, very precisely targeted to give meals to people working in intensive care wards, to get them a meal so they can take it home with them at the end of the day. His daughter, Charlotte's an anaesthetist. It was great to catch up with him. Uh, he's so enthusiastic about contributing in this. Uh, I just want to observe, he was interviewed, we did a, a little video conference like this from his kitchen, which looked like the McLaren Technology Center, or maybe the McLaren Technology Center is based on his kitchen. I don't know, but uh, he was great to talk to. Um, this evening, I'm going to do a little video chat with Mario Isola, who we'll all know is the, the head of Pirelli Motorsport, the man that looks after the tires for all the Grand Prix. Well, he has for 35 years been a, a volunteer paramedic. He'd been self-isolating. There was a great article in The Sun by my colleague Ben Hunt the other way talking about how nervous he was about going back into the front line in Italy. I'm going to be catching up with him after his first couple of shifts on the ambulance again, but he really has been in the front line uh, representing F1 very proudly uh, in, in that fight against coronavirus. But uh, just a final word, just to say about Mattia Bonotto, the interviews on, on the Sky Sports website, make sure you watch that. We'll be showing it on Sky Sports News all day as well. He, like Ross Braun, is working towards this plan at the moment that we can maybe get underway in July. He's even talking about two Grand Prix at individual venues, uh, something that Silverstone have said they're prepared to do as well. So, yeah, people being flexible uh, and trying to get the show back on the road. Great stuff. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate you coming on, uh, as always. Uh, you can keep across all the latest F1 news, Sky Sports news, Craig's uh, across everything, as always. And a big thank you uh, to Martin. We've got a, another one of these uh, come up for you in the next couple of days, uh, which we'll, we'll try and get everybody on the team on, or as many as we can uh, possible ahead of the Easter weekend, although all the days seem to be blurring into one right now, don't they, uh, Martin? That's one of, the, one of the things about this. Yeah, I have to keep checking my phone to see which day it is. It's... Uh... Yeah, you're right. They just merged, don't they? I love the Prime Minister of New Zealand, though. The, uh, the Easter Bunny, for those out there not affected by this, he will be delivering come Sunday. Mark my words. There we go. He's not, he's not affected by this. Big thanks uh, to you, Craig. Big thanks to, to Martin. Uh, we'll see you all very soon. Thanks very much for tuning in.